Let's stand for prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our eternal Heavenly Father, we thank Thee once again that we can continue in this manner before Thee in prayer. We thank Thee, O Lord, that Thou hast said unto us, If any man sin, that he hath an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And so as we pray unto Thee tonight as fallen sinful man, we do so through our advocate, through the one who stands at thy right hand, continually making intercession for us as his people. We come unto thee then this evening, O Lord, with our heads bowed, our hearts bowed humbly before thee, and we pray, O God, that thou would pardon our every sin. Lord, we confess unto thee that our ears are so clogged up with this world that it is hard for us to hear thy voice speaking to us. We confess unto thee, O Lord, our hearts have become so hard that we forget what it is to pour our hearts out before thee. But, O Lord, as we come unto thee into thy courts with singing and with praise tonight, we pour ourselves out before thee in this manner, and we say, O God, that thou would come and meet with us here. We need thee, O God, to come and stir us up. We need, O Lord, to have a, a, a fresh sense of life breathed into us in the service of our King. We pray, O God, that Thou would revive us then as Thy people. Lord, we need Thee to come and to, uh, Lord, enliven our steps as we are wearied with this sinful world, as we are wearied, O Lord, as we go about our day-to-day -day duties, as the, uh, Lord, the, the world and even our own flesh and the devil would press in upon us. O oh Lord, how we need Thee to be our rear regard. How we need Thee, O oh Lord, to go behind us and to go before us and to be all around us and to be a shield unto us and to protect us and to lead us not into temptation, but, O oh Lord, to deliver us from evil. So we confess our faults unto Thee this evening and we pray, O oh Lord, that Thou would forgive us. But we ask of Thee, as we come now to the preaching of thy word, that thou would truly make us ready to receive the message, that thou would empty our minds and empty our hearts of everything that would take away our affections from the things of God, everything, O oh God, that would distract our, distract our thoughts from these things that are right before us in this moment. We pray, O oh Lord, that thou would refresh our souls this night with thy word, Give now, we pray, this promised Holy Spirit. Fill us, O Lord, to the uppermost. We pray, O God, that there would be that overflowing in our midst, that every heart would be filled to overflowing, that there would be no tiredness that would take us, that the weariness of the flesh would have no victory here this evening. But rather, O Lord, we would draw not on those physical resources, not even on the mental resources that are now so depleted at this stage in the day and in the week, but, O Lord, that Thou would give us fresh spiritual strength and that Thou would enliven our hearts by the power of the Spirit. And both preacher and hearer alike would know that sense of being carried along by the Spirit of God. Come then, we pray, O God. Speak to us, we pray. Be with the preacher. Lord, remove all sense of self and all dependence on self and on study. And we pray, O oh God, for the liberty that comes only from Thee. 
and that the words that are said would be no words of man, but only the words of God. Grant fresh unction as has been prayed. Grant liberty tonight, we pray, both for preacher and for hearer alike. Come and take a dealing with us, we ask of thee. Minister to us then. Encourage us and comfort us. Grant to us a word in season. And Lord, we pray all these things in and through the name of thy Son and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we turn for a season tonight to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we'll be taking as our text this evening the verses from verse 9 to verse 13. Luke chapter 11 from verse 9 to verse 13. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask, for, ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The Westminster Larger Catechism, in response to the question, what is prayer, gives this answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. But when it comes to the practical application of this definition of prayer in our everyday Christian experience, it seems that we are quite comfortable acknowledging God's mercies. We are happy to confess our sins. We are quite adept at praying in Christ's name, seldom do we forget. And we are even happy praying with the help of the Spirit. But it seems that when it comes to offering up our desires unto God, that that's the point at which we struggle. We can be timorous. We don't want to be too bold. We don't want to go too far in what we demand of God and what we ask God to do. Yet, when we examine the teaching of Jesus Christ himself on this very subject, we discover that he is not only willing, yea, he commands that we bring to him the desires of our hearts in prayer. In this passage that we have read, we have the prayerful example of Christ at the beginning. And that example has stirred up his disciples to ask for instruction in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. He responds by giving what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer in verses 2 to 4. It's not our subject this evening to look at that prayer, but just to mention in passing, it is a pattern for prayer that really does cover 
every conceivable scenario in the prayer life of a believer. Everything is there. Everything we pray for, everything we ought to pray for, fits into that pattern. But Christ continues after responding to his disciples. And he goes beyond giving simple teaching and how to pray. And he actually commands his disciples to pray. Our text opens up in verse 9 with this authoritative statement. And I say unto you. These are the words of our Lord. And it's then followed by three imperatives. Three commands. Ask, seek and knock. Christ commands his people to pray. It's clear then from the outset that to offer our desires to God. As wonderful a privilege as that is. It's more than something that is merely put at our disposal to use it or to not use it as we see fit. Rather, this is something that we must do. We look then at these verses under this title, Praying Obediently. Praying Obediently. Notice firstly who is to pray. Now there is one sense in which it could be said that every single person in the world owes prayer to God as a part of worship. It's incumbent on all men everywhere to pray unto the Lord. In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith states it in so many words. It says, prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men. All men are demanded to pray. The proof text offered in our confession is in Psalm 65, verse 2. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Every man without exception ought to pray to the Lord. Owes a debt of prayer to the Lord. But we must acknowledge that sinful, fallen man is unable to approach unto the holy God other than through Jesus Christ as the mediator. And as Jesus Christ is the mediator of the covenant of grace, then it is only those who are within that covenant who may pray acceptably to God. We see then that the command here, which is accompanied by promises for those who pray, can only be truly applied to the people of God. The children of God, and the children of God alone can be said to truly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. At the opening of the chapter, we see that the exchange here that we are reading of is taking place specifically between Christ and his disciples. These are followers of Christ. And whenever we see the instruction that Jesus gives for prayer, he begins with these words, Our Father, which art in heaven. These are not words that belong in any sense of the, word, of, the, of the word in the mouths of the enemies of God. Natural man cannot pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Our God, yes. Our judge, yes. 
Well, certainly not. Our Father, the fatherhood of God, is explained in Ephesians 3. We read there that he's referred to as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And that family is defined in Ephesians as those who have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. We see then that the true subjects of this command to pray are those who have been adopted into the family of God. Believers. This is carried through in the parable that Jesus gives in our passage in verse 11, where he compares our prayers to that of a child petitioning a father. This then we need to get up front in our minds this evening when we think about a command to pray obediently. We are approaching God as a father when we pray. Every time we pray, we are approaching God as our Father. Those who pray are to pray with this intimate relation with the God of heaven. But that implies that those who are commanded to pray are those who have trusted their souls to Christ. They've trusted in Christ. They're depending on the person and on the work of Christ for their salvation. This adoption into the family of God it is, of course, an act of God's free grace. It's one of those benefits that are enjoyed solely by those who are the redeemed. That being the case, this refers to those who have given up all hope of saving themselves, all hope of doing anything by way of their own efforts. They have surrendered the eternal welfare of their souls into the hands of Jesus Christ, cast their all, on Christ. They're depending on Christ's finished work. They're not depending on their own repentance. They're not depending on their own faith. But they are depending by faith on Christ. It's those who have trusted their souls to Christ. But that you must see this evening means. Every one of the children of God. Every one who has trusted in Christ. That is who is to pray. That is who Christ commands to come to him in prayer. The clear meaning here is that all of the children of God are equally in view. There is no hierarchy when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not reserved only for those who are particularly gifted in prayer. It's not reserved to those who are of great faith. And can pray in a way that, that they are laying hold in, in great faith. Expecting God to move. The more they expect, the more right they have. Not at all. Not at all. It's not simply those who are feeling up to it that are commanded to pray. Or those who are walking near the Lord that are commanded to pray. It is everyone. Every single child of God. Everyone who has ever cast their lot in to the person of Christ as their Redeemer. Who is depending on him for their eternal salvation commanded to depend on him for everything else in prayer whether you feel like it or not whether you feel worthy or not the command to you child of God is to pray we see then this evening just as we get started that if you have trusted Christ for your salvation you are included in Christ's command to pray 
if you have been purchased by Christ, if you have had that redemption applied to your soul by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, then you are adopted into the family of God. You're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you're commanded to pray. It's a simple and foundational truth. Although we see this as a command, we see that Christ is here commanding his people to pray unto him. There's a sense here in which Christ is commanding us, not because we don't want to pray and he must drag us to the throne of grace, but because as a child of God, our hearts are yearning to pray. We want to pray. It's a reflex. Often we can't pray. Often we don't know how to pray. We saw something of that last week. Often we are in the darkness, as it were, and we're groping about, not knowing where to go. But the fact of the matter is we want to be able to. So the command here is not a stern command that you must pray. It's a command that says, come, come, don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Don't feel that you're somehow or other putting Christ out by asking him to intercede on your behalf before the throne of grace. So we see who is to pray. But secondly, notice how we are to pray. Verse 9 reads, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now this verse contains the substance then of Christ's command. Each of these words, ask, seek, knock. We've already seen that they're commands. They're in the imperative. It's, you must do these things. These are not options that are open to you. But all three also concern specific petitions. It is asking for something from God. It is seeking for something. It is knocking in order for something to happen. It's quite specific. They're not concerned at this point in time with other parts of prayer. With thanksgiving, with confession of sin with acknowledging God's mercies these things are important but that's not what's being dealt with in this passage here there are other passages that deal with those things but these commands to ask and to seek and to knock they are all to do with that part of prayer which our catechism defines as offering up our desires unto God. This part of Christ's teaching also is not specifically dealing with the nature of the things that we are to pray for. Though there is to an extent an implication in verse 11 that whatever it is we're asking for, it's a wholesome thing. It's a good thing. It's a thing that is for our good. Here we have bread and fish and egg, needful things, things that are, that are for our advantage. But really what we're focusing on here in this text is the manner in which we are to pray. Notice then that we are to pray humbly. Ask, and it shall be given you. Whenever we come to God as God's adopted children, we do so as those who have come to see that our complete dependence is on Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation. The greatest thing we can ever ask for. And we're coming in dependence on the work of Christ. The child of God, by definition, is one who has accepted that they cannot save themselves. What is in view here then in this asking is a sense of emptiness, a sense of humility, a sense of dependence. The word itself is used in this sense when describing the beggar. 
one who has no resources of their own, one who has absolutely nothing to offer, one who is entirely dependent on everything that they need, on receiving it from somewhere else. Is it too strong to say this is the word for the, the beggar? Well, it's interesting to note that the word is only ever used to refer to an inferior asking for something from a superior. It's only used in that sense. And Christ never uses this word in relation to his own prayers. He uses every other word to do with prayer, but not this one. He doesn't come to the Father as, a, as an inferior. He comes as an equal. But latent within this asking is this strong sense of expectation. The asking carries with it the expectation of receiving. That's the why. Why is one asking? They're asking in order to receive. There's no hesitation. There's no doubt. There's nothing in any sense in the mind of the one asking that the one being asked has anything other than all of the will to give. They expect, they expect to receive. In this sense then, there is humility, but there is also this steadfast faith that the thing being asked for will indeed be supplied. That humble, believing request, however, is also expressing a genuine desire. Desire. A longing. In fact, the word here used, ask, is often translated as desire. That's how the word is used in Mark 11. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. In other words, it is asking for those things that are actually in your heart. You actually have a longing for them. It's not simply praying for the things that you think you should pray for. It's not just praying for what everyone else is praying for, just because everyone else is praying for it. It's speaking of genuine longings of the heart. The psalmist described it in these terms in Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Humble, believing, sincere petitions. But we're also to pray diligently. Seek and ye shall find. Now when we come to this word, this command to seek, we carry with us all that we have just considered concerning the word ask. It's all here. It's all being rolled up as it were. The action of asking. Now being put into this seeking. There's an increase in the intensity of the action. Where the emphasis in the first command. The asking. The emphasis was on humility. On recognising our abject need of help. To receive something from outside ourselves. Here in this seeking. The emphasis on, is on taking steps to find that which we look for. All three commands are active words. They demand that you do something. But this seeking is particularly pertinent. It implies not simply waiting, not merely asking, 
But they're asking and they're making a diligent search for the answer. This is not, just to be clear, this is not about you doing your bit and God doing his bit. God does everything. God does it all. We, we are not equal partners in this, in this venture with the Lord. He does it all. But rather with the seeking, we are recognizing that God often does it all through us. Sometimes God would have us to work for the answer. Sometimes he would have us to search for it. To work out what the answer is. He would have us to look for it. To be diligent. There's a difference here also in the accompanying promise. Where the other two commands have a passive response. It Ask and it shall be given unto you. And knock and it shall be opened unto you. Here the response is active. The promise is active. Seek and ye shall find. We see then that although God is the only one who can provide the answer. Only he is able to uncover that which is searched for. Yet the one doing the petitioning, the one doing the searching, must be the one who finds. But all still with this idea carried over of this humble, believing, sincere desire is not a half-hearted search. This desire for something that we do not have and only God can provide. But then we see that we are to pray persistently. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. With each command, ask, seek, knock, there is something of an escalation. Each one is building on the one that goes before. Each one is becoming more and more intense. And here we reach the peak. So it is that once again, all that we have seen from the asking, all that we have seen from the seeking is rolled up into this knocking. All of that applies and more. Here's the more that's added. We knock and it shall be opened unto you. Again, all three words have this in common. They're all in the present tense. They all have this idea of continuing. Ask now and keep on asking. Seek now and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. But this persistence is more pronounced in this action of knocking. We knock and we knock and we knock and we knock until the way is open before us. The theme of importunity has already been introduced by Christ in the parable that went before our text. This importunate friend who would not take no for an answer. And here we have the same idea. Knocking persistently. There's an interesting illustration of it in the life of Peter. In Acts 12, when he was locked up in the prison. And while he was in the prison, there was a prayer meeting going on. And what were the people praying for? They were praying for the desires of their heart. And what was the desire of their heart? They were making prayer continually for Peter. And along comes the answer. And God comes, sends an angel to the prison, wakens Peter up. Goes out through the gate. The gate opens of its own accord. And off he goes. What opened that gate, men and women? It was prayer knocking at that gate that opened it. And when Peter comes to the place where the prayer was going on, what does he do? He knocks the door. Does the door open? No. But when we read he continued knocking, he went on knocking until at last the door was open. You see this persistence? 
You see this praying, this asking, this, this seeking, this knocking until you get the answer. Believing that you're going to get the answer because it's the desire of your heart. It's the longing of your soul and you won't give up until you've got it. It's almost like the one in the Old Testament who cried to her husband, Give me children or I die. There was no giving up. We have described here in these commands then how it is that you as a child of God should be offering your desires unto God. Now think about your own prayers tonight. Have a bit of an introspection. Think about your own prayers, whether publicly or privately. Do you actually pray for those things that you could honestly say are the longings of your heart? Do you really want the things that you pray for? Do you really desire them? Do you actually pour out your heart before the Lord? Sometimes our prayers, they can be so formal. They can be so cold that there is not much of the heart about them. They're so staid. They're so liturgical. They're so correct. And that's no bad thing. But sometimes that's all they are. If someone was to listen into your prayers, put yourself to the test, child of God. If someone was to listen into your prayers, would they understand by the time you were finished exactly what it was that you cared about the most? Isn't that a good test of your heart? a serious challenge we have this access to God Jesus Christ here is is commanding us to come to him with the desires of our hearts how are we using that access there's so much to pray for there's so much that exercises our hearts it's not that our hearts are cold it's not that we have no cares but perhaps sometimes there's just so much that we don't know where to start these are real problems in the prayer life of a believer. Yet here we have it as a command to bring the very depths of our soul to God the Father and to pour it all out before him. But then having done that, having prayed to go looking for the answer, to go searching for it, not resting until you find the answer. Here's another challenge. Have you prayed specifically enough to know whenever the answer comes. Would you recognize God's answer to your prayer if you had it? There is much that we pray for that is so vague that it would be hard to say exactly what the answer could look like. Maybe we're praying for some problem at work. Maybe we're praying for the salvation of a family member, a child, a parent, a husband or a wife. Do we pray believing? Do we pray expecting that God will hear and God will answer? Because he says he will. But do we believe it? Or what about as a congregation? What does the heart of this congregation yearn for? What is your longing as a congregation? Do you desire a settled minister? Do you long for sinners to come in under the sound of the gospel? Do you have a heart for souls to be saved? For the influence of the church to, to grow? 
for the success of the cause of Christ. These are the things that fill your hearts, are they not? These are the things that you will all recognize as things that matter to you as a congregation. Things that you care about. Things that you do long about. Then that is what your prayer meeting should ring with. All who hear the prayers offered here in this congregation, they should know what it is that burns your hearts. Do you pray believing? Do you pray like it will change the outcome? Do you pray in a way that moves the arm of God? Or are we afraid that that sounds Arminian? Well, friends, this evening, this is what it is to pray obediently. But there's no rebuke in this. There's a challenge, but there's no rebuke. And so we notice in the third case what happens when we obey. What happens? We've noted that the true children of God are being addressed here. We have seen something of what it is to pray in accordance with this command of our Saviour. To pray fervently and believingly. But what actually happens when we pray? What's the result? Well, what does Christ say happens? He's the one praying on our behalf. Well, he says that believing prayer is answered in verse 10. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What we're seeing here in this verse is that prayer is answered. And it's answered in exact accordance with the thing commanded. If the command is to ask, the one praying receives. If the command is to seek, the one praying finds. If the command is to knock, then it shall be opened unto you. This is no myth. This is real. If you pray humbly, believingly from the depth of your heart, then God will hear your prayer and will give you the thing that you pray for. It's precisely what he says in Matthew 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. All things whatsoever. It doesn't get any more comprehensive than that. Whatever it is that we ask for in faith, ye shall receive. But in faith, in faith doesn't mean that we should squeeze our eyes really tight and wish really hard. That's not what it means to pray in faith or to pray believing. No, it's not a lucky charm. It's not some genie in a lamp. Sometimes I do think fairy tales have destroyed the art of praying. Faith here means that we believe that the thing we are asking for is what God wills to give to us. We believe God. It's not that we believe we have prayed hard enough. It's that we believe God wants to give it to us. How do we know what God wills to give us? Well, Christ told us in John 15, this is how we know. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. The word of God is God's revealed will. It is by abiding in Christ and by having his words abide in you that you will know what to pray for. That's what stirs your heart. That's what gives you the longings in your heart. That's what gives you the faith that you will receive it because you are praying for God's will to be done. 
Do we see this kind of thing today? Do we see this kind of prayer today? This kind of believing prayer, these kinds of miraculous answers. I'm sure those of us who are older in the congregation will remember times like this, examples like this, when prayer has been answered in such a remarkable way, a miraculous way. Is it only in the history books that we now can read of it? Can we not read it in our own experiences? Have we maybe lost something of the power of believing prayer as a people of God today? It's interesting to note here that in this verse, the first two promised answers are given in the present tense. Everyone that asketh receiveth. You keep on asking and God keeps on giving. He that seeketh findeth. You keep on looking and you will keep on finding. But in the response to the knocking, we find that the answer is in the future. You keep on knocking and it's going to be opened unto you. Keep going. Don't stop. Persist. It's a reminder of that persevering, persistent, patient praying. Many prayers are answered eminently, but for some the answer involves a long, patient wait. But here's the thing. All of them are answered. Every single one of them. Everything that we pray for in faith, in accordance with the will of God, it's answered. But not only is praying, believing prayer answered, but the answers are for the best. God's answers are for the best. Verse 11 and 12. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And this parable that Christ now gives as part of his instruction, we're shown something of the, the nature of God's answers to prayer. We have this wonderful example of the natural affection that a father has for a child. The child has some need and the father meets the need. Now sometimes children ask for the most outrageous things. But it's part of their training to learn what it is that they ought to be asking for. So when they ask for the right things, they receive. The key thought in this parable is that the father gives to the child that which is the very best. The bread, the fish, the egg, it's that which is good for the child. Not just sustenance, even delicacies such as the egg. The father gives to the child that which is the very best. It's a genuine, satisfying answer. Father then is only giving what is for the best for his children. This whole idea that when God the Father is petitioned by his children is that they will be heard by him and that he will answer them in the best possible way. Not merely answering them in the precise way that they ask but even in superabundance. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians again God is said to be able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But there's a further detail worth noting here also. The kind of thing asked for is the thing that is supplied. There's a risk here that we mask our own belief in prayer by saying somewhat correctly that God will answer in his way, not according to our asking. Now, to an extent, that is true. If 
we ask amiss, James tells us we have not. But there is a, a promise attached to each of these commands. That when we pray to God in faith, in his word, then we can and we should expect him to answer. And to answer in a way that is consistent with what we have asked for. What then is missing today? Is this what we are experiencing? Why do we not pray more like this? Why are the answers that we receive seemingly different from the requests that we make? I do wonder sometimes if what happens is we don't ask for things because we're afraid that if we don't receive the answer it will wound our faith. Our faith is already wounded if that's how we're praying. The final thing to notice about the clear promise attached to this command to obedient prayer is this. The best answer of all is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The overall idea in this verse is this. If the children of God pray to the Father in faith out of the sincerity of the desires of their heart, desires that have been molded by his word. If they pray that he would grant the power of the Holy Spirit to accompany their praying, then God has undertaken, God has given you his word. He will provide that Holy Spirit. He will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? It's such a clear promise. And it's made even more emphatic by the parable. God is giving his word to you that he will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. What do we learn then from our Lord tonight? We learn that prayer is real. Prayer is real. It's not some wishing well. Prayer is real. And prayer is answered. And God has promised to answer your prayers. And God has given you the book that will, that will craft your desires into his will. So that when you pray out of the abundance of your heart, you're praying for what he has already undertaken to give to you. Having surrendered all attempts then to save ourselves, having surrendered to Christ, having recognized that we can do nothing of ourselves for our salvation, then we need to bring that same heart of dependence to prayer. We need to resign entirely to the will of God we need to take him at his words. We need our prayer lives to be rejuvenated. We need reviving. Friend, this evening, do you believe the promise of God? Then pray. Is it God who does all things? Is God sovereign? Here's a test of your Calvinism. Is he sovereign in the success of his church? Is he sovereign in the salvation of souls? Can God save your children? Can God save your loved ones that you've been praying for? Can God save them? Well then pray. Pray. Pray that the sovereign God would, that he would move. 
Christ commands you to pray and he promises that what you ask for, you will receive. What you seek for, you will find. My friends, when you knock, the door will be opened. Set yourselves then this evening to pray like this. To pray believing. To pray from the heart. To pray in dependence on God for the answers. In short, my friends, to pray obediently. Amen. And I trust God would bless his word to each heart. Uh, could I call on our brother Derek McLean, please, if you don't mind coming to the front, Derek, and leading us in prayer. Our God, our Lord, most high, Abba Father, we turn to thee once more this night, and we have been stirred up, Lord, by thy precious word, that word of truth, that word of encouragement, that word that provokes us to prayer, to obedient prayer. And we give thanks, Lord, for that commanding imperative language that pushes us on, that grants us that uh, stirring up in our souls. Help us this night that we would take on board that which we have considered this night in my precious word. Help us, Lord, to imbibe that precious truth. Grant to gracious one that we would cherish such times of prayer in the house of prayer. That as we turn to thee each day, each night, each week as a congregation. O oh Lord God, that thou would fill us with thy spirit. Grant us all that we would need in our spiritual walk. Grant us that thirst for Christ, even as we have sung. Heavenly Father, we look to thee this night as a congregation. We bring before thee, as we must do, our great inadequacy, our helplessness, our many failings before the Lord, the sin that so easily besets us each day and each hour, and even in the things of the Lord, even in worship, we must confess that we have sinned, that our hearts Stray far from thee, and yet thou art God, thou changest not. How can we, Lord, but for Christ, approach thee? And as we consider thy holiness, O Lord, we give thanks that thou art pleased to see the shed blood of Christ. We do not approach thee in our prayers, in our own strength. How could we? Lord God, and equip us this night. Grant us that holy boldness. Grant us all that we have and all that we know in thy precious word of truth. We do give thanks that we have been privileged and blessed to consider this portion of thy word. We give thanks, gracious one, that this mercy is afforded to us at this time in thy house.
time in which to praise thee, to read, to meditate, to worship together as we are commanded to do. And we do pray, Lord God, bless his word to us and help us even now as we continue in this act of worship. Help us to sing with our whole hearts, to praise thy name, acknowledging that thou art God, that thou art great, that thou art thrice holy. Remember us, Lord, as a congregation. We have considered even this night something of our great need in our vacancy. And Heavenly Father, what else can we do but lean upon Thee? What else can we do but pray that Thou would look after us? And pour forth a blessing that we do not deserve. O oh, gracious God, help us that we would not and that we would never look to ourselves. We pray that thou would take from us all our own desires, our natural desires. Take from us any sense of self-sufficiency. Take these things and cast them far from us, Lord. May we put all our hope and all our faith in Christ. As a congregation, may we pray that thou, Lord, would illuminate the, the way forward for us. That thou, Lord, would open our hearts, that we would look to thee, that we would cling to thee, and to thy word and to thy truth. That we would seek the mind of the Lord in these important matters. Help us, we pray. Oh, remember us as a congregation, Lord, and those who are unable to be with us at this time, those who are, who are sick and suffering and ill in their body, those who are struggling in their minds, those who are advanced in their years, Lord, and unable to function as they once did, those who are experiencing the pains and the problems of old age. We pray for them, Lord God. We pray for those who are struggling spiritually, for all those, Lord, who need thee in a very particular way this night, those who may be experiencing anguish in their souls, those who are feeling so troubled by, by their sin, by disobedience, by failures, and by any lack in their spiritual walk. We pray, Lord God, that thou revive them. Oh, revive us all, Lord God. Be with us as a congregation. We give thanks for thy servant. We pray for him and for his family. And likewise, uh, Mr. MacDonald and his family. Be with them both. Be with all those, Lord, who are in preparation to preach the word of God. What an awesome calling, O oh Lord. And we pray that thou would uphold them all as they learn of the, the marvellous 
unsearchable riches of Christ. Continue with them all, we pray, Lord. Remember us as a, a church, as a denomination. Take care of us in these dark times and may we never despair, O Lord. While sun and moon and dew, help us, Lord God. And be with us, we do pray for what remains of this evening. May our hearts indeed rejoice as we consider Christ. As we think upon the blessings of the world this night. Press these things upon our hearts, Lord, we pray. Truly in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll conclude this evening with Psalm 62. Psalm 62, we're singing from verse 5 to verse 8 of this psalm. And after we've sung the psalm, perhaps Reverend Farms could give the benediction. Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul, wait thou with patience upon thy God alone. On him dependeth all my hope and expectation. He only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defence, I shall not move it be. In God my glory placed is, and my salvation sure. In God the rock is of my strength, my refuge most secure. Ye people, place your confidence in him continually. Before him pour ye out your heart. God is our refuge high. Psalm 62, singing verses 5 to 8. <coughs> My soul wait thou with
benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.